Hi, it's David here. Thank you for listening to the Leader Coronavirus Daily. Please do subscribe and share us through your podcast provider. Give us a rating too. That helps us a lot in growing the show. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is the Leader Coronavirus Daily. Hi, I'm David Marsland. It's time to go back to work for some, but how are they going to get there? And it's really a fundamental problem of physics about space. There isn't room to fit all the people who need to move in the system we've got to move them. Associate Editor Julian Glover says no one's writing the rules for commuting in a post-lockdown age. And we inspire the next generation of nurses. A lot of our research shows how many children and visitors actually do consider a nursing career. On International Nurses' Day, director of the Florence Nightingale Museum, David Green, on her legacy and the precarious future of the museum itself. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the Leader Coronavirus Daily. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, how are you going to get to work? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. When lockdown began, the street outside my house in East London was silent, save for the sound of some sparrows and a parakeet colony that bizarrely turned up in the trees. Now, though, as you can hear, there's a fairly constant stream of cars. You don't have to go far to see how this city, like others around the country, is moving again. And that's before people get back to work. Some people will be doing that very soon. Here's the thing, though. How? Is public transport safe? Should everyone buy a bike? Can we all walk a mile, as the government's now suggesting? Or will we see more cars packing onto roads? And where are they going to park? Our editorial column says a new world needs new rules, and no one's taking responsibility for writing them. The tube is getting busier. Travel crept up 5% on Monday, and it's expected to keep going up as more people start going back to work. Almost everyone will be wearing face masks. In some countries, passengers are being given masks to use. The British approach is to muddle through, and that's a worry for people who have to travel and want to know it is safe. There's a big push to create more space for cycling and walking. That's welcome. 
but a crowded cycle lane can have its own challenges with social distancing. A lot of people will try to drive. It is, after all, what the Prime Minister told them to do in his broadcast on Sunday night. That might be fine in some places. In central London, it is terrible advice. There's another worry too. Transport for London is running out of cash because almost no one is buying tickets. It's after a bailout deal and the bill could hit £7 billion. The last thing we need as our city struggles to recover is an implosion of our transport network. The mayor will blame ministers. But it is up to him to show he's got a grip on keeping our city moving, too. Our associate editor Julian Glover joins me now. Julian, a lot of people are meant to be going back to work. How are they going to do it? So the government said we've got to start getting back to work. If we can't work from home, we need to travel to work. Lots of people doing that. And it's really a fundamental problem of physics, about space. There isn't room to fit all the people who will need to move in the system we've got to move them. Everybody who's used the tube knows how crowded it gets when it's full. Well, even if the tube is a lot less busy, and it's down 94% at the moment, even with hardly any passengers, there isn't room for social distancing. You might be able to get in a carriage and find two metres between somebody else, get off at a station on those narrow tube platforms, you almost certainly won't. So physically, it's really hard to manage, and we need some basic rules. And it's been a struggle to get them out of the government. It's been a struggle to get an agreement with the mayor for Transport for London as to what those rules are. We've got some of them today, and they say you need to have a face covering if you can in a confined space. Some countries are giving passengers face masks. Here, rather eccentric British thing, the government's told us to cut up what it says is an old T-shirt, so make sure you don't use your new top-of-the-range Paul Smith to keep yourself safe, but something bit more basic from the back of the cupboard and get sewing. So we're going to have to do that. And even then the tube's going to be busy. But of course it already is. And it's got to keep running. They're going to step up services from next Monday. So there'll be more trains, more buses as well on the streets. National Railway's going back to a Saturday service. So that's pretty frequent on a lot of routes. But there's a really big problem. And that's that lots of people are going to drive. And in London, that's tough. The Prime Minister said people should drive in his statement on Sunday night. It's not easy if you work on a building site in central London to drive into work and park your car. So we've got a big difficulty coming in London. Now, even I've been looking at possibly getting a bike, and I am too fat to get a bike, Julian. I have been looking at some of those e-cycles, which seem quite tempting. I might get one of those. But can bicycles save the world? Cycling's great. I've got an e-bike as well, and it's really good. I recommend them, but I wouldn't want to leave it chained up in a street in London when I'm not on it, because they're pretty expensive and the battery will get nicked or the bike will get nicked. So e-bikes maybe not so good for central London. But no, the challenge with cycling is even if everybody who wants to go to work now got on a bike, there wouldn't be room to park them, to use them. They're certainly more efficient than a car in using space on the roads but not more efficient than a tube train. A central line train can carry over a thousand people crammed in. You know what it's like at peak hour, crammed in. Those old days when we used to go to work on trains before March. Um, imagine every two minutes, a thousand people getting on a bike from different stations and trying to cycle all over London. It, it isn't really going to be practical to carry loads of people. What cycling and walking is great at is short distance journeys that people might have done by car or might have done by bus. About a third of the car journeys in London they measure it at less than two kilometres. You can walk two kilometres. Most people can walk two kilometres in just a few minutes. It's not a long journey. So you can stop all sorts of things happening and switch it to bike and, and car. Not many people are going to cycle in from, you know, imagine you, you live in Enfield and you've got to go into central London. 
it's quite a journey by bike. You're not going to do it every day. It's not the answer to everything, but it might help ease the strain. And that's why they're widening the lanes at the moment, putting cones down the streets, trying to stop cars eating up all the road and trying to get people moving around safely. But the honest truth is that if you live in a city, city of nine million people, if you stretched everybody out and two metres apart, you'd, you'd actually take up, I think I calculated about 10 times the surface area just of the city of London to do it. It's physically not going to be possible to have social distancing everywhere. And you've got to remember in Paris, the rules are the metro has to carry half the number of people and it's a metre distance. Here it's two metres. Never quite clear where any of these guidelines come from. We're all in the dark. The government's doing its best. The mayor's doing his best. Um, but we're going to have to have a few more people in the system than perhaps the idea of social distancing says. And we'd better be honest about that. On these questions that we should have been asking anyway, and maybe this situation has just sped up inevitable changes. Maybe, but cities are great. Cities are amazing. Cities are work. They make stuff happen. You meet people. All sorts of things are taking place all over the place. You can have jobs. You can have fun. You can have restaurants, hopefully, again. Music. Environmentally, cities can be pretty efficient as well. London is quite a green city and it can get greener. Um, sprawl over the countryside with suburban houses, lots of cars, spreading everybody out across the land is not a good, efficient way to live and it's not good for the environment either. And in the end, that isn't good for human health. So no, cities work. London works. It's the most amazing thing in our country. It's the one bit of Britain that's really not just world class, but the envy of the world. Our city is, in some ways the place the world meets and the world happens. We can't just give up on that and say, oh, well, we're all going to have to live at home and not go out anymore. We've got to find ways to get going. And, and the answer is to start it now, start it carefully, make it clear what the rules are, make sure people realise it's safe, manage the consequences and gradually get back up to full speed. And we want back to London with a busy tube. We want Crossrail open next year. Just ironically this week, they've just announced hours ago that they've finished the work in Crossrail. The tunnels are complete. The stations aren't all complete, but the tunnels are ready. Trains are being tested. This city is ready to go. We've got to get back to that and not just give up. But we do need some clarity. And it's a bit random at the moment. Find an old T-shirt. See what you can do on the tube. Good luck. Maybe work from home if you can. That's all right for a few more months at most. It's not the long-term future. But more cycling amongst the mix, that'll be good. I look forward to seeing you on your e-bike soon. And you can read more of Julian's thoughts on transport in the Evening Standard newspaper or online at standard.co.uk. Next. When you look into a story, it is amazing. It took us 17 years of arguing with her parents to allow her to become a nurse. David Green from the Florence Nightingale Museum on the Lady of the Lamps influence during today's pandemic response. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.
When they were picking a moment to mark International Nurses' Day, the birthday of Florence Nightingale must have been the most obvious choice. No other nurse has as much global recognition as Britain's Lady of the Lamp, who revolutionised hospital care during the Crimean War, as Boris Johnson explained in a video posted to social media. She changed and shaped the very perception of, of what a nurse is, what a nurse should be, transforming the job into what she called the finest of fine arts. And in so doing, she saved lives, not just in her own lifetime and her own country, but for decades to come and in every corner of the globe. Florence Nightingale set up the world's first nursing school at St Thomas's Hospital in London, where the Prime Minister was treated for COVID-19. It's also where a museum to her legacy stands today, at least for now. The lockdown's put it in a serious financial situation. Its director, David Green, is with me now over Skype. And David, first of all, as we mark her 200th birthday during a pandemic, I wonder if Florence Nightingale hasn't been this relevant since she was still working herself. I think she's probably been as relevant, but she hasn't been as talked about, for sure. Hand hygiene and the basics of sanitation and the basics of infection control are certainly relevant to our lives every single day, but... I think with the pandemic on that we're forced to talk about it. We're forced to really think about it in the detail. And that, along with um, evidence-based nursing, really are pure nightingale. You can trace it right the way back to the Crimea, the absolute horror stories she faced at Skatari Hospital, and then the 50 years campaigning work that she did afterwards to actually improve healthcare for all. It's incredible how influential she was and remains today, isn't it? The NHS Nightingale Hospital in London, its own design, the way the beds were set out in rows, that was inspired by the sorts of things that Florence Nightingale demanded in her own hospitals, wasn't it? That's right. Basic field hospitals, whereby that allows a smaller number of people to get a good view of as many patients as possible. That is your classic Nightingale style of ward, as is good airflow. Nightingale was passionate about the need to make sure that patients were getting the best quality air that they could. That's why she always included big windows there. Clearly, at XL, they couldn't put windows in, but they did make sure they had lots and lots of air circulation, which she would have very much approved of. Obviously, everybody recognises the name Florence Nightingale, but do we as a nation really remember and appreciate all the things she did for nursing, for care, for so long? I think as a nation, we actually do her a disservice, and I include myself in that, in the fact that despite being a historian, before I started at the museum, I knew very little of what she actually achieved. I knew she was something to do with the Crimean War, that lady with the lamp. Whereas, actually, when you look into her story, it is amazing. Yes, um, she went to the Crimean War, but I didn't know that it took her 17 years of arguing with her parents to allow her to become a nurse. And I didn't know that when she came back from the Crimean War, she had a 50-year campaigning career that not just included establishing nursing schools, but also campaigning on a whole range of public health issues, actually campaigning for workhouse reform, which you can very much see links through eventually to the formation of the NHS with universal health care for all. 
she campaigned for better working um, rights for all sorts of individuals, even sex workers. It's amazing how much insight she had and how relevant big data now being used to solve all sorts of problems. And she was doing it all by hand 150 years ago. How precarious is the future for the Florence Nightingale Museum because of this pandemic, because you don't have people going? It's very precarious. Um, I'd love to tell you a different story, but sadly, like so many small museums, we're really struggling because we rely on admissions income to keep us going. Now, that's great for the taxpayer at normal times because that means we're not a draw on national government or local government. We're entirely self-funded. But at a time like this, that means we really do have a threat. And there's no way we can sustain that for long, particularly as we've just invested so much of our reserves in actually preparing an exhibition for this year, creating a new guidebook and investing in events that unfortunately now just won't take place. David, why should we save your museum? What do we lose if it goes? We inspire the next generation of nurses. A lot of our research shows how many children and visitors actually do consider a nursing career. We also do a lot of work with nurses regarding CPD. They come here for away days and the like. So our collection really is quite an inspiration to them, allows them to do quite a lot of different exercises while they're on site. And we're also a great place where they commune, they meet up, etc. Now, after the pandemic, I think the nurses really will respond to having that place. It's important we're here to still be able to offer that facility to them, that service. I think that we can offer a great way of telling the story of the pandemic too, particularly the NHS Nightingale hospitals, because we don't just talk about Nightingale herself. We do a whole range of different nursing stories, celebrating everything, their bravery, their compassion, and so on. Like I said, we've got a very popular family corner too, which actually talks about the introduction into nursing, into what is a fantastic career. So what sort of things are you doing to try and get some money coming in? We've got the usual um, GoFundMe page. Um, you can donate via our website or text giving. But also we wanted to think a bit more creatively. And thankfully, um, the celebrity auctioneer, Charles Hanson, he's coming to our aid and he's offered to organise a auction with us in order that we can try and raise a bit more money. Perhaps a sports star would like to donate a shirt. Perhaps a politician's got something from their era they could give us. Or members of the public might, or a business. And we're going to auction them all off at the start of June via a Zoom online auction, which could be quite a fun evening, I think. And the funds will actually go to the museum. And that's the Leader Coronavirus Daily. You can keep up with all the latest COVID-19 developments with the Evening Standards live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. We also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm.